Welcome to Whipple's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Whipple. The Green Bay Packers are clearly one of the best teams in the National Football League. They have an 11-3 record, which is the best in the NFC, and it is the third best record in the entire 32-team league. But are the Packers as good as their record indicates? Welcome, I'm Gary Wolfel, and thanks for joining Rob Reichel and I for another Packers podcast. Hello, Rob. Hey, Gary, how are you? Good, I, I understand you made a ton of money on your uh, fantasy football league, so uh, are we going out for drinks once this uh, virus is cleared? Yeah, when, when, <laughs> when the virus is done, Gary, we'll go, we'll go play 18 somewhere and then live it up large afterwards. I I still have one more window win to notch, but... I earned myself a little bit of money by, by sneaking into the finals yesterday of a, a pretty high money league. So yeah. Do you remember last week I said I was going to call you a football geek after I heard that you, you are in six fantasy football leagues. I'm calling you a football geek. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't think you'll get an argument from anybody, Gary. It's, 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 it's more than fair. And to be honest, I find it somewhat flattering. So uh, oh, there, there you go. <laughs> Keep piling on, my friend. All right. Rob, we have a ton of things to talk about today, but let's start out by asking about how the Packers stack up with the other elite teams in the NFL. And the reason I brought this question up right away was while I was watching the Packer game, I started exchanging texts with a player personnel director. At some point I said, okay, give me your power rankings one through five, okay? And sure. here is how he uh, broke down his assessment of the top five. He had Kansas City one, New Orleans two, Buffalo three, which was to me a little surprising, Pittsburgh, and then finally the Packers. Uh, your thoughts and your power rankings. Well, I, I think that's pretty fair, Gary. I think a lot of Packer Nation doesn't realize this, but we're 14 weeks into the year, Gary. And Green Bay has played three teams with a winning record, okay? Yes. They played the Saints in week three, which they obviously won. The Saints are 11-3, and three, or I'm sorry, 10-4, and four, really good football team. They played Tampa Bay in the middle of the year, got absolutely routed. And they played Indianapolis, which put together a really good first half, laid a stinker in the second half, and, and lost that game. 11 of their 14 games have been teams that are either 500 or worse, only three against teams with winning records. I mean, it's one of the softest schedules by a mile in football. And um, they're one and two, Gary, in the games that they've played against winning teams. And clearly now when we get to the postseason, I mean, I guess unless you see a team from the NFC East, you are going to see all teams, right, with, with records probably 10 and 6, 11 and 5 or better. Mm-hmm. And can, can Green Bay run the table in a situation like that? Although the way it shapes up, they're only going to have to win two games. But can they win a couple of games in their building, you know, against the Rams, the Seahawks, the the Saints, the Buccaneers, the Cardinals, teams of the world like that, Gary? Can Green Bay go ahead and do that? I mean, it, it all sets up for them really well. Um, but again, after Carolina the other night, there's clearly a number of questions. Um, just who exactly are these guys? What kind of team is this? Are they built to go the distance and play in the 55th Super Bowl. And um, that that's going to be fascinating viewing here, Gary, the next month. But I know there's a lot more doubts after the Panther game probably than there were even leading into it. Yeah, you know, the, the fact that they uh, only played three teams, you know, with winning records is a little bit concerning. Uh, they, they had a really, really soft – I mean, just within their own division. Now, granted, the Vikings and the Bears have – picked it up in the last couple of weeks and become better. But that, that division overall, the NFC North has been atrocious. So they got basically, uh, you know, free passes with them. But uh, I, I agree. I, I think this is going to be a major concern, you know, heading into the playoffs. It, it, it's one thing to play, you know, a team with a winning record one week, but then now you're going to have to run the table against teams with winning records. And, you know, you, you got to wonder if that's possible for the Packers. Gary, I think we'll find out a lot more about them Saturday night or Sunday night. I mean, when they, uh, when they host Tennessee and that might be the best team they've played yet all season, Gary, it's certainly among the best two or three. And we'll find out if they can, you know, match up against Henry and 
they're never going to stop a running back like Derrick Henry, but can they keep him to 20 carries for 110 yards and not 30 for 215 or something like that, right? Where he, where he obliterates them for seven or eight yards a carry. Can they keep him between say four and five a carry mm-hmm. instead of seven or eight? And those are, those are some of the questions or one of the clear questions they have to answer uh, going into the postseason. I mean, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers said the other night after that Panther game that they have not put four good quarters together in a row all season long. And, you know, I kind of went back and I looked at that gear and he, he's not wrong. I mean, they played extremely well in patches and stretches. They played really mm-hmm. well the other night in building that, 21-3 lead against against Carolina the first three drives three long touchdown drives right and 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 you, and you think it's going to be an early night and maybe some Tim Boyle and in their last seven possessions they get one field goal and Mason Crosby has to boot a long one at that you know a 51 yarder to kind of save their bacon uh, to go up two scores again with four minutes left in the game so the inconsistency there Gary mm-hmm. is is I think troubling I think Carolina put some stuff on film in terms of how to slow down Adams and, and take some things away in the passing game. Um, I don't think green Bay was nearly committed enough to the run game. Aaron Jones was terrific early on. And um, I think they needed to stay with him more and, and make him the central figure in that offense the other night and, and not the quarterback and, and, and the wide receiver, Matt LaFleur made an in- interesting comment after the game. I thought Gary, when he said they were chasing ghosts and yeah. um you know, I don't know if necessarily he meant the quarterback and, and, and good old Devante were chasing individual records, um, MVP, fantasy stats, that kind of thing. Is that the ghost Matt LaFleur was talking about? I'm not sure. But some of those quick hitch passes to Devonte Adams that Carolina had figured out, Gary, and, and ended up going for a yard or two or three seemed nothing more than um, plays designed to get – uh, you know, to kind of build some numbers between Rodgers and Adams. I personally, Gary, I, I thought when Green Bay went ahead 21-3 and Aaron Jones had that eight-yard run yes. uh, off a tackle where he just waltzed into the end zone. From that point on, Aaron Rodgers just didn't seem like the same guy, Gary. And we all know he's he's big on numbers. He knows stats. He understands MVP races. He understands things like that, Gary, more than – probably any player I've ever seen where, where he gets the individual accolade side of things just as much um, as anybody. He can glance up at a scoreboard. He can really do the math in his head, mm-hmm. Gary, and say, my passer rating is X right now. My QBR is Y um, and things to that effect. And, and when that touchdown went to Aaron Jones, instead of Aaron <laughs> Rodgers flipping it to Tanya or Adams or somebody like that, I really think in the back of Aaron Rodgers' mind, he thought to himself, Darn it. You know, I, I need a touchdown pass here. I want to get to 50 to chase Mahomes in this MVP race. And Aaron Rodgers, the rest of the night, Gary, just wasn't the same guy. His body language, his animation on the football field. There, there was a lot about Aaron Rodgers that, to me, reminded me of 17 and 18 when he was a very unhappy camper. Um, now, a lot could have been what was going on around him, Gary. He was sacked five times. You know, the offense didn't have any consistency or rhythm after a great start. But, but again, a lot of that was on Rodgers. And uh, I'm just telling you, Gary, after the first three drives where I'm guessing here a little bit, but Rogers wasn't the same guy. And I wonder if the fact that, you know, Jones had that touchdown run instead of Rogers flipping it, you know, to MVS or somebody like that uh, played a role in, in his struggles later on, because mentally Gary, he didn't look like the same guy. Right. Interesting observation. Yeah. An observation I had though was how many drop passes Right. Rogers receivers have. I, I counted four unofficially. There, there might have been more or less, but it was in that ballpark. And I'll tell you what, going into that game, in my opinion, Rogers knew he was in a battle for the MVP with Patrick Mahomes. And when he saw receiver after receiver, including Devontae Adams, drop passes or, or not make plays, I, I think that got to him. And, and to be honest with you, I don't blame them. These guys got to catch the ball. And uh, so I, I could see where, you know, he was a little rankled by it. But, uh, you know, get, getting back to the uh, Titans on Sunday, uh, I'm a huge Derrick Henry fan, primarily because he's on <laughs> my fantasy football league team. But yeah, this guy is a beast. He's got uh, 1,679 yards already this season. And uh, so I, I was 
following that game a little bit on Sunday, and the one thing I noticed was they gave the ball to Henry, and he went left tackle, left tackle, left guard, left tackle. It, Rob, it must have been about five, six straight plays where he went strictly left. And uh, I know when you have a great player like Derrick Henry, he can run the ball anywhere he wants. But I'll be curious to see if they do the same thing against the Packers and uh, attack that area of the Packers' defense. Um, but, man, I'll, I'll tell you what, he is a special, special player. No doubt, Gary. I mean, it's that and Dalvin Cook, right? The, the, those are your biggest tests of the year. Those, those are clearly the best two running backs in football right now. You know, when the year started, you probably could have lumped guys in there like McCaffrey and, you know, Barkley and, and people like that. But those guys have been injured now. You know, but but the way Cook has run the ball in Minnesota and obviously Henry, who leads the league in, in rushing yards. What did you say is that, Gary, 1679? Correct. Uh-huh. So he's 321 away. Oh, you, you would hope from the Packer perspective they can keep him under 2,000. Don't grab the 2,000 <laughs> barrier on Sunday. <laughs> You're, you're, you're in some real trouble if he if he goes over 2,000 on, uh, <laughs> on, yeah, on Sunday night. You know, the other thing, too, Rob, when I, when I was following that Titans game, when they got into the red zone, of course, they gave it to Henry. But when they got down near the goal line, and I, I give uh, Tennessee a lot of credit on this, uh, they decided that they are going to pass the ball or Tannehill was going to keep it. And, you know, they didn't give it to Henry because the defense is – defense was so focused on, on shutting him down so uh he, he's become a great decoy in addition to uh, putting up big numbers but the other thing about Tennessee is Tannehill is finally I, I think becoming a pretty darn good quarterback and uh, if my numbers aren't off here he's got 31 touchdowns and five interceptions and he's been real proficient and their wideouts nobody talks about them but I, but I think they're really good Corey Davis and A.J. Brown and uh, I'll tell you what, if, if the Packers go to sleep on either one of those guys, they're, they're going to be in trouble. Big time, Gary. I think the defense has made some strides here, too, and gotten better. I thought they played pretty well the other night. You know, like LaFleur said afterwards, you hold the team to 16 points. You should win in that league with Green Bay's offense, which came into the game uh, number one in the league in scoring. And, uh, you know, Barnes, again, makes the play of the game, maybe the play of the year from a defensive perspective when he knocks the ball out on the goal line on Bridgewater and, and Kevin King goes the other way. I thought Gary Amos maybe had his best game uh, as a Packer. Kenny Clark was really good up front. Uh, but but there's some holes right now, and and you mentioned that the Titans have weapons to take advantage. Kevin King is not playing good football at all. I mean, really, really bad. He gave up a couple of deep, couple of longer shots in that game. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, Gary, but I think it was like 40 and 37 on those plays to Moore, where Moore beat uh, King. Corey Davis is a guy too, Gary. It's really interesting. He was Badger. People might remember him when he was at Western Michigan. He was the standout. PJ Fleck was the the coach of Western Michigan one year when Bucky played them in a bowl. Mm -hmm. And uh, Corey Davis was kind of the headliner on that football team. Fifth pick in the draft and must have been what, Gary? 17, I think. Because maybe 16, because this is the final year of that rookie contract uh, for Corey Davis. And he hasn't lived up to the hype whatsoever the first three, four years in the league. But I tell you what, he's been coming on strong lately. And uh, really the last eight weeks of the year, he's played terrific football. Um, like you said, Brown's a game changer. And these guys are going to be matched up one-on-one, Gary, uh, on the outside. I mean, I guess I'd assume Alexander goes to Davis because he's playing better football right now. And and King might stay with uh, with with Brown. Uh, but, but Green Bay is going to have to put eight in the box, maybe nine, Gary. This might look like a high school football game in terms of what they're going to have to devote to uh, – to try to stop Derrick Henry because we saw last year in that 49er game in the NFC championship, Mike Pettin was so remarkably slow to adapt and to change and to adjust to what Raheem Mostert and the 49ers were doing that day when they were just running the ball down their throat that day, the, you know, San Francisco ran the ball that day, Gary, 42 out of 50 plays. That's 84% of the time. I mean, it's a remarkable statistic in 2020 NFL football. I mean, that's, that's the kind of numbers you see in a Muskego Creek game or something like that. Yeah, not, yeah. not an NFC championship game. Right. And, uh, and they just ran, ran, ran. And Mike Pettin stayed in, in nickel and dime forever. And he wouldn't get out of that. It wasn't until he finally went heavy up front, probably late third, early fourth quarter, Gary, that they even started to have a, 
a sniff, a, you know, a, a hint of success in slowing down Mostart in that run game. So it's going to be interesting. What does Petten do this time, right? Is, um, well, you know, does, does Lafleur say to him, hey, I mean, get some huge, huge bodies in there, put eight in the box, take away Henry, and if they beat us on the outside, they beat us on the outside. Yes. But they, I just, I don't think Green Bay can live the way they, they have in the past with, with Mike Petten's attempt to, to try to stop great running backs, Gary. They have to adjust, and the, and the first order of business has to be to put a, a number of big bodies up, uh, up in the front, uh, stack the box, go with eight, and take Henry away. And, and if Corey Davis beats you over the top, he beats you over the top, right? If, if AJ Brown beats Kevin King for a touchdown, oh, well, that that's life because otherwise Henry's just going to bleed him to death, Gary, seven, eight, nine yards a pop for four quarters straight. Rob, I'm kind of hoping that's the case. <laughs> if, if you've got him in uh, fantasy, Gary, I, I can understand why. And I can tell you, I mean, Derek Henry's going to have a big game. The question is, is he going to have a, you know, a, a big game or like an all-time yeah. monster game, right? A most yeah. a most start kind of game with four touchdowns and and two hundred plus rushing yards. Um, Derrick Henry's going to win a lot of people their fantasy championships this week, Gary. I can I can promise you that. I, I, I haven't looked ahead. I hope I don't see that beast because uh, he's probably on an off night, Gary. Going to go for a buck and a quarter here. The question is, can Green Bay keep him under two hundred? Yeah, you, you don't think the Packers could sign Gilbert Brown to a one-game contract, do you? <laughs> Not sure what Gilbert has left in those legs, Gary. I don't think it would matter. It would just be a big body in the middle. A body, <laughs> yep, absolutely. Go find Ryan Pickett and Howard Green and and all those good old boys, right, who helped him win championships by being 340 pounds and taking away taking away running backs. Yeah. Hey, uh, I, I don't want to mean to pile on Petten because – as critical as I have been of Pitt in the last two years, uh, I think in some ways he's done a pretty good job. But that we'll, we'll save that topic for another day. But when you when you brought up his name, uh, I thought back to the uh, text conversation I had with this uh, NFL player personnel guy the other day. And when he gave me those five teams, Rob, I, I said, "Why do you have Green Bay at five? And he goes, "I don't trust the Packers' defense." I don't trust the coordinator. And uh, I, I thought that spoke volumes. It's interesting. And, and I'll be honest, I think it's very fair until proven otherwise. He hasn't shown and proven right now in, in Green Bay that he's one of the elite guys in football. You know, Gary, Dom Capers came in in 09 and he did yeoman's work those first couple of years. He, he, he took kind of a mid-level middling mm-hmm. defense that was left behind after, after 08. And, um, you know, he had him in the top five and even up to number one in a lot of categories in nine and then again in 10. And it bought Dom probably seven, eight years of house credit, didn't it? You know, he, he turned things around. He won a Super Bowl in 10. I think when they ranked second behind Pittsburgh in, in, in total defense and scoring defense. And, and I thought Dom did a lot of great things, Gary, but he probably overstayed, um, you know, probably was allowed to stay a little bit too long. This was this was Mike McCarthy's second, you know, or, or, or choice as defensive coordinator, Mike Pettin, that is. And um, Matt LaFleur kept him on. And now I think they've done okay this year overall because I, I think the talent is solid. It's not great. But if they don't have, Gary, a, a great postseason, um, I think Mike Pettin's in some real trouble in, uh, in terms of coming back next year. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Well, we'll see. Yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting uh, story to follow here. Hey, uh, we, we touched on this real briefly before about the uh, Packers running game and not this past game, but the week before when they were playing the Lions, uh, I, I think we touched on this as well last week, but uh, Aaron Jones had five touches in that first half against the Lions. Then they finally gave him the ball on a more regular basis in the second half and uh, it paid off. And it seems like that happened again in their most recent game where they, they seem to have be abandoning the running game. Do you agree or are you seeing things the same way or not? No, I'm, I'm totally seeing the same things the same way, Gary. It, it, it felt like that was a game you should have, especially after Jamal Williams went out early on with the quad, that should have been a, a, a 25 carry type of game for Aaron Jones. Yes. Uh, much like Chicago kind of figured out yesterday and, and gave the ball to David Montgomery time and time and time again in, in that win over Minnesota. Gary Jones at halftime was 12 for 114. 
nine and a half yards a carry, right? He had the 46 yarder that he ripped off to be, to be honest, I was a little surprised he got caught from behind, but um, he had the 46 yarder. He had a touchdown early. Then Gary in the second half, only eight carries. And again, I know green Bay didn't run as many plays. The offense wasn't uh, nearly as productive as it was the first three drives of the game. And really the, the entire first half when, when they built that 21, three lead, uh, at the break, they, they really did struggle through through the course of that second half. But I think a large a large part of that, Gary, was the fact they didn't lean more heavy on Jones. The the group up front, Gary, the line was was terrific uh, Saturday night in terms of blocking in the run game. They pulled Billy Turner several times. Um, they haven't been pulling their guards nearly as much, and they got Turner out in space, clearing some room for for Jones. I thought Turner had a really good game in in the run game. But Gary, they went away from that a little bit. Jones mm-hmm. only eight carries, 33 yards in, in the second half. So about four a pop. Yeah, Rob, and what were those numbers again? So he was at halftime, Gary. Let me go back and find what I wrote down. 12 for, yeah, 12 for 114, Gary. Right. Okay. Right. So that's nine, and a, nine and a half a pop. And then he finishes the night uh, 20 for 145. So eight carries for 31 in the second half, Gary, which is about four a pop. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just one of those games. I, I really felt you could have given it to him 15 times in the second half. They tried AJ Dillon for a series. Didn't like what they saw. You didn't see Dillon again until late in the game at kneel down time. Uh, it was it, Williams was gone with the quad. That was an Aaron Jones game, or it should have been Gary 25 carries one ninety, two touchdowns. Um, and you knock these guys out strictly on the ground. They weren't winning up front Gary in the pass block game. I mean, Carolina had five sacks a season high against the Packers up front. Lucas Patrick did had a brutal game in, in pass pro Gary, depending how you want to judge it, give him anywhere from two to three sacks, mm-hmm. uh, trying to slip, trying to slow down that, you know, that big nose tackle that Carolina had the seventh pick in the draft Brown, yeah, uh, really, good. really a good player, you know, burns off the edge. Gary gave Bakhtiari trouble all night, which was, which is surprising. Burns went four picks. Uh, after Rashawn Gary did in the in the 2019 draft, I'm I'm sure there were a lot. Now I think Gary's on, you know, kind of kind of making a move here, um, and he, and he's going to turn out to be a decent Packer. But boy, that Brian Burns on Carolina, you watch him, and you think Green Bay could have had a player like that instead of Rashawn Gary. And he's a natural fit, Gary. Um, you know, as as a three, three, four outside linebacker standing up, Carolina's got a, as, as an undersized four three end. And uh, that there, there's a player who could, uh, you know, could have made a huge difference too in Green Bay. But he gave, he gave Bakhtiari fits all night. I mean, really, all those guys up front from Carolina, their effort was off the charts. They they came after Rodgers. They frustrated frustrated the nonsense out of him. And and Gary, you remember last week when I was telling you why I think the Rams are the most dangerous team, and and I still believe that even though they lost to the Jets, and everyone's going to have an off game, I guess, from time to time uh, in this league you saw where Carolina's pressure was mostly coming from, right? It was right up the gut and there was nowhere for Rogers to go because they pinched the edges and kind of kept him inside the pocket, you know, and, and Carolina did that with a rookie nose tackle, a rookie defensive tackle. The Rams are going to try to do that here in three, four weeks, Gary, with Aaron Donald, uh, if, if they see the Packers and, and that has to be concerning right now. Green Bay is going to really need Corey Lindsley back because Lucas Patrick the last month has struggled. I don't know if he loses his spot and they juggle some stuff and, and Jenkins goes back to left guard and they stay with Turner and Wagner on the right side or, or how they would do that exactly. But Lucas Patrick uh, just hasn't played very well the last month, Gary. And uh, clearly teams have, have found some things on, on film. And I know Patrick's beat up a little bit. Um, I think he's got an ankle that he, that he's fighting but, um, you know, after 14 weeks of film, you, you've got a lot on a guy. There, there wasn't Absolutely. a lot of film on Lucas Patrick coming into the 2020 season. Now there is, you know, they, they have to get that cleaned up in the past game, Gary. But back to your point on Aaron Jones, you're spot on. That should have been an Aaron Jones game, you know, not an Aaron Rodgers or a Devontae Adams or an MVS or a Tanya type of game. That should have been Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones. And, um, you know, get to the locker room. And, and you win the game 30 to 13 instead of 24, 16. Yeah. You know, uh, Kurt, Kurt Warner uh, was one of the uh, broadcasters of the Packers game. And uh, for the most part, he, he's pretty soft. He's not overly critical, but one thing I, I, I like about Warner is, is he's very good at assessing situations. And uh, one of the points he brought up during the game 
was do the Packers really have a quality number two receiver? You know, he saw those drops, you know, Lazard and uh, who else? Somebody else had a drop, one of the backups. Plus, Devontae had two of his own, Gary. Yes, so. exactly. And MBS, did he play Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gary, maybe MBS thought the game was Sunday, not Saturday, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, War- Warner's point is valid. You know, um, it- it's one thing to go through a soft regular season with, with a number one guy like Adams. But it's a whole different story when you get into the playoffs and your number two guy is so inconsistent. Uh, you know, that, again, that's another concern for the Packers. A thousand percent, Gary. You, you, are, you are spot on because, again, in the playoffs, based on how you, you know, who you see, that Washington has a, an elite number one corner. New Orleans does. Obviously, Ramsey and with, with the Rams, right? Tampa's got a, a high-level elite number one co- corner. Gary, these teams are going to follow the blueprint. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I mean, it's, this is just football 101. They are going to take away what you do best. It's the Bill Belichick model, right? What what do they do best? It's Aaron Jones. It's Devontae Adams. And it starts with Adams. So they are going to take Adams away to the point where he has, again, four or five catches for 50 or 60 yards. He doesn't have one of these nine, 10, 11 catch days, two touchdowns, 150 yards. They are going to slow down Devontae Adams. And then they're going to say, you know what? Our number two and our nickel and even our dime corner are plenty good to go and cover MVS, Lazard, um, Malik Taylor, St. Mm-hmm. Brown, whoever these other jokers are, right? That Green Bay is running out there. And Aaron Rodgers might have to throw 14 balls that day to Bobby Tunyon or something like that. It should probably turn into an Aaron Jones game if that's the case. But, but if an opponent like... If you see, Gary, somebody like Tampa Bay, that's number one in the league in rush defense, or, again, the Rams with Aaron Donald and and a bunch of his pals up front who can destroy a run game, it might be tough for Aaron Jones to get going, too. So, you know, I, I still go back, Gary, and I say the Jordan Love pick was the right pick. You could, you could get four straight decades here of really high-level play at quarterback if he winds up panning out. But, it, but it's hard in 2020, I'm sure, for Packer Nation and Packer people and fans across the world to say, my God, think of Gutekunst had traded up another four or five spots and, yep. and landed Justin yep. Jefferson in Minnesota. Oh, right? I know. Um, what if he took Pittman, who's, who's really come on in Indianapolis? What if he took T. Higgins, who's going to eventually be the number one in, in Cincinnati, right? It, it's an all-time wide receiver draft in 2020. You're going to have from this group, Gary, I would think someday six guys that are in the Pro Bowl you're going to have another half a dozen that are that are really quality starters in this league, and you could have found a guy in all likelihood if you're if you're good at your job, and we think Brian Gutekunst is um, to step in there and right now Gary be playing you know 40 or 50 snaps a night um, instead of MVS, who's just you know so up and down. I mean he's he's like an elevator, you you know up and down and up and down. And uh, Lazard, there's a level of consistency, Gary, but. Again, he just he's never going to run well enough, I think, to be a bona fide, absolute proven number two. And I think that's where guys like, you know, your, your scouting pal and, and, and people around the league look at Green Bay and they say, where would you upgrade? I mean, if Alan Lazard is your starting number two, you're always going to be looking to replace that position and get better at it. Um, MBS shouldn't be a number three. He's just way too inconsistent. So, yeah, uh, Warner's right. Warner's exactly right there. They needed another wide receiver, um, and 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 they just didn't get it. You know, Gary, they that they had the guy and uh, Funchess who who opted out when the year started. I don't know how much he would have helped. You know, he he had the COVID fears and and right. chose not to play this season. And and what if he what if he helped? He, you know, Gary he probably would have helped more than MVS. Who you never know if he's getting a goose egg or he's getting five for a hundred. That's a tough way to go play football, isn't it? Uh, where you, yeah, yeah, where you just right. don't know what you're getting out of your number three every single week. So, no, I, I'm with you. Kurt Warner adds virtually nothing, but he's spot on with, you know, with that assessment, Gary. Yeah, you, you know what, Rob? I really think MVS is going to be the X factor if the <laughs> Packers are going to get to the Super Bowl. If he shows up in the playoffs and can be that deep threat that he's capable of being, I think the Packers got a legit chance to get to the Super Bowl. But if he's radically inconsistent like he has been, you know, this season, 
I, I don't see any way because like you said, they're going to shut down Adams and say, okay, throw to your other guys, see what happens, you know? Well, Gary, if they get, you know, the level of productivity out of them that he has shown here and there through the, through the season, I am a thousand percent with you. They will go to the Super Bowl. I mean, if he, if he has two playoff games, Gary, where he nine passes for 170 yards and a touchdown or two, they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I just, I think that's an awfully big ask right now. The, the rest of these guys, for the most part, you know what you're getting week in and week out. You, mm-hmm. there, there's been a consistency level with the line, with Aaron Jones, with Devontae Adams, um, even with Alan Lazard when he's been healthy, and obviously with the quarterback. My X factor, Gary, would be uh, Bobby Tunyon because I, he, he's had a terrific year. Um, but they may need him to look like Travis Kelsey in the playoffs. Exactly. Um, for for them to for them to make the Super Bowl, um, he's going to get chances like that, Gary. He really is. He's going to have a game or two in there along the way when teams try to take away Jones and Adams, and Tunyon's going to see a dozen passes. Gary, here's a crazy stat: Bobby Tunyon has ten touchdowns. Mm-hmm. All right, five games in a row, which is a franchise record, tied for the second most in franchise history by a tight end. You know who has the most? For a tight end, it's Kaufman, right? It's Kaufman. You got it, bud. 11. Yeah. Uh, 11 back in 83. Keith Jackson had 10 in the Super Bowl year um, of, of 96. But What but a great pickup that was, huh? I'm sorry? Yeah, no kidding. Ron Wolf's patience was rewarded there, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, but here's a crazy stat. 10 touchdowns for Tunyon. Yeah. You know how many incompletions when Rodgers throws Tunyon's way, Gary? No idea. Six. <laughs> how many? Six. Six incompletions. I mean, every time Rodgers throws in his direction, the guy catches it. I mean, it's an unbelievable stat. He has more touchdowns than incompleted passes thrown in his direction. Um, You know, he's, he's, he's probably the number one surprise player on the roster this season. Um, He's, he's exceeded all expectations. He should probably go to the pro bowl Gary, but when we start talking about X factors for the playoffs, it's going to be crazy when I say this, but I think he's almost got to be better than he has been the first 14 games of the season because at it's going to be really hard for Adams and Jones to be as good as they have been. And I just don't trust MVS enough. So to me, Gary, if we want to go on that X factor for a second, I'm going to go with Bobby Tunyon. Hey, speaking of tight ends, what is the status of uh, Sternberger? Is he going to be healthy by the playoffs? Is he still on the team? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I might be the uh, president of the Jay Sternberger club, but uh, uh, I, I think they need them in the playoffs too. You, you were talking about, you know, having a second tight end that can catch the ball and, and at least uh, pose a threat of getting down the middle. Uh, Lewis, I, I mean, you know, solid blocker, but I, I don't think he's going to scare anybody. No, and, and, he, and he clearly doesn't uh, you know, scare anybody. Uh, Gary, you, you just don't know on those concussions, right? I mean, I, yeah. I think it was the Eagles game in, in week 13 when he was big with that. Um, I mean, here's a guy who, who Gary, I thought he was going to be Bobby Tunyon this year, right? Not Bobby so Tunyon. I, 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 they I drafted was... Jay Sternberger to be, to be, to be this guy, right, to, to move on from Jimmy Graham. And to be a 60 catch, seven, eight, nine, ten touchdown type of tight end. I mean, he's he's really a bulked up wide receiver, is what he is. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they 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 expect you know, you use a third round draft pick on a on a on a player, you expect productivity by year two for sure. And it just it just hasn't panned out. Um, and and I know he closed last year strong. You remember he gave him nothing last year, and then he had three catches in the playoffs, including right. a touchdown in that 49er game in the NFC championship game. But, um, you know, but he's been dinged this year. He started the season on the COVID list. He's never gotten into much of a rhythm, and now he's got the concussion. So, I mean, Gary, I would expect, again, I think that was week 13 against the Eagles when Sternberger had the concussion. Um, I, I would expect that by the time we get to the playoffs, Gary, we're looking at a month, and um, you, you would certainly think he's back on the field by that point in time. Um, and, and it, it's interesting. You're right. They're, they're going to need another pass catcher somewhere. He certainly fits the bill as a, as a guy who can, who can come out and do that and give, give Tunyon some help. Maybe you're lining up at times with double and even three tight ends mm-hmm. uh, when, you, when you're showing some stuff with Lewis, but uh, you could be right, Gary, uh, because I think he gives them a heck of a lot more upside in the passing game 
than some of these guys like Malik Taylor or St. Brown or, or people like that. Even I I'd rather go double tight ends with Tanyan and Sternberger than some of those wide receivers. Well, Rob, it's time to go around the NFC North and, and, and what's left of it. <laughs> Do you have like one sentence to say about the lions? Anything? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. I have nothing. Okay. We're moving on by the way. Uh, the, the guy uh, that I, I kept referring to here that I texted with uh, during the Packer game said that he has heard Nathaniel Hackett's name coming up for jobs. So something to keep an eye on. Gary, here's all I'm going to say about the Lions. Because you know <laughs> I'm a big fan of the quarterback there, right? I, um, you know what? So am I. I, I, yeah, I, I. I've always had a ton of respect for him. He, he plays through every injury humanly possible. I mean, if it wasn't until last season where he actually finally missed a game. I, I for a while I thought he might break Favre's record for for longevity. You know the Ironman streak. My only hope for Matthew Stafford this Christmas, Gary, is 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 Detroit finds him a new team for next year. They start over. They go with a young quarterback or something like that, and Stafford finds himself, you know, in a place like let's just say Denver, which has decent people around it, right? Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, if if Tom Brady decides to retire, Philip Rivers in Indy decides to retire, or even Belichick says, you know what, I can I can win five, six more football games with Stafford than I can Cam Newton. I just hope he finds a better home for the last three, four years of his career. Yeah, You know what? I, I, I agree with you, Rob. You know, one place that comes off the top of my head is Washington with, with that young emerging, emerging defense. They got some nice players on offense. Man, I'll tell you what, I, I think he could be the missing piece and, and get that team over the hump. But um, I think it was Bradshaw yesterday or on Sunday talked a little bit about Stafford, and he mentioned San Francisco. Which oh, yeah. It came out of the blue, but uh, that would make sense. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So he spent five minutes too much on the uh, Lions. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> we can never spend too much time on Matthew Stafford. Gary. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, the, uh, the coming into uh, last weekend's game, you knew it was a, a pivotal one for the bears and Vikings. Uh, the winner keeps uh, its hopes alive for a, a playoff berth. Uh, the loser, you know, is going to be home for Christmas and, I'll tell you what, that was a heck of a game. And uh, one I really thought the Vikings should have won, but Rob, the Bears are coming. I, I, I'm, I'm very impressed. I, I thought they were dead in the water a few weeks ago, but uh, if they get into the playoffs, uh, I, I think they could uh, be a problem. Gary, you remember in 2010 when the Bears were the one seed and the Packers snuck in as the sixth seed and Chicago came to Green Bay in the final week of the season and they had a chance to keep the bear or they had a chance to keep the Packers out of the postseason by winning that night. And I mean, it was, it was a defensive battle. I think it was 10, three uh, that green Bay won the game, but green, you know, that, 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 that was probably as good as it got for, for lovey. And in, in Chicago, he, you know, Jay Cutler was playing serviceable football, probably even better than that. The defense was off the charts, uh, but green Bay snuck in Gary and obviously eventually beat Chicago down in Chicago to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC Championship game. We could be looking at a similar scenario, Gary, in week 17 here a decade later, where right. Green Bay goes down to Chicago as the one seed. Might even have everything clinched by then. We'll see, um, based on what happens this, this weekend coming up. Chicago's got Jacksonville this week, Gary, so let's give them a win. Um, they go to 8-7. and seven. Um, At worst, yeah, I'll tell you what, they're going to be if, if Jacksonville wins, everybody in that organization should be fired. <laughs> and they should probably be fired either way. So, yeah. <laughs> good, good point. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so Gary, Chicago right now sits a game back of Arizona, but they'd hold the tiebreaker if those two end up even. Um, so the Bears, Gary, all they need the Cardinals to do is lose once in the final two games. The, the Bears are going to have everything to play for in that Week 17 game against the Packers as they're fighting to get into the playoffs. It's going to be really fascinating, isn't it, Gary? Do the Packers go with their full contingent of players if they've already got things locked up um, and, and try to keep the Bears out of the playoffs? The Packers might, you know, the Packers might have to win the game, Gary, and, and they probably will have to win the game to lock up the number one seed. Uh, based on how stuff goes here the next couple of weeks for for the Saints and the Seahawks and the Rams and people like that. Um, But let's just say, Gary, that both teams have a ton to play for. The Packers can lock up the one seed. The Bears can sneak into the playoffs. 
you're talking about an epic game to end the year down in Chicago here in, in week 17. Rodgers and the Packers have, have really owned the Bears, you know, since, since Aaron took over as the starter back in, in 08. And if, and if you trace it back to when, when Favre took over in 92, we're, we're talking three decades of the Packers just dominating this rivalry. Um, this, this, would be, this would be one of the games so where the stakes uh, are, are, are clearly as high as, as almost ever about – well, the only two or three times I can remember they'd be bigger, Gary, is the NFC title game, uh, that 2010 game in, in Lambeau when the Packers had to win to get into the playoffs, and then that 2013 game when when Rodgers hit Cobb late in the game uh, mm-hmm. to win the division um, on that fourth down play when John Kuhn picked up a blitzing Julius Peppers. Um, so it hey, has Rob, to be uh, – When did Aaron Rodgers get the, get the handoff on that clock? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. I know everything about that play. <laughs> What's that? I was just teasing you. It seems like you 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 just saw that play yesterday. It's like <laughs> well, vivid, it's, you know? it's 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 pretty burned in my mind. I think yes. I wrote three or four stories about it, Gary. Um, but it it, it, it was an all time block by John Kuhn. Probably his his highlight as a as a Green Bay <laughs> Packer, and he and he had a nice Packer career. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but but he picked up a blitzing Julius Peppers and then Rodgers hit Cobb on the deep touchdown to win the game. There was a fourth that was a fourth down play. I think that game was 33-28 or something like that, Gary. But uh, long, long story short, back to back to what we got coming up. Uh, you know, in Week 17, it, it, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, the Packers are probably going to be fighting and and trying to claim that number one seed. The Bears, in all likelihood, are going to still be alive and and fighting to get into the playoffs. And, and you've got the NFL's two oldest rivals. So Minnesota took themselves out of the running yesterday, Gary, with that loss. But uh, like you said, Chicago's coming here. They figured a couple things out here with Mitch Trubisky. And um, he, he, again, he, he's playing like at least an average to slightly above average quarterback, which is all they have needed here the last few years, as good as that defense is. Did, do you see the uh, final play for the Vikings? They, they had like fourth and one. Did, did you by any chance see that? No, you know, I didn't, Gary. Yeah, and, 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 okay, you got uh, Delvin Cook, who might be the best running back, you know, in, in the entire world next to Derrick Henry. Fourth and one, and they decided to get cute, and they did a uh, play option pass, and, and uh, Cousins got, you know, basically buried. And I'm thinking, like, what a bad time to make a bad decision <laughs> because, I mean, their season was on the line and it just all unraveled on one place. So, but anyways, moving on. So, so do you agree with me that uh, the Bears could be a, be a problem if they did get to the playoffs? Yes, because def- uh, we've said this forever on this podcast, Gary, defense travels. And, and I don't care who you are and where you're playing you know, when it, when a defense is as good and, and I know Minnesota scored 27 on him yesterday. And, um, but I'm telling you that, that defense top to bottom is, especially with Hicks back now, you know, when, when Chicago came to green Bay a month ago, Hicks didn't play up front. And, and I'm telling you, Vegas doesn't give points on the spread for defensive players, Gary, they usually only do it for quarterbacks and guys like cook and, and Derek Henry and people yeah, like yeah. that in terms of adjusting the line. But I'm telling you, Hicks moves the line four points himself. He's that good up front. And um, now, now that he's back and if, if they're starting to get a little bit more healthy, I know they were down some corners yesterday and uh, their, their second and third corner buster screen didn't play. And, and the rookie, the other rookie on the outside, Johnson didn't play I'm telling you what, Gary, if they get healthy, we know what the defense is. It, it's going to keep people to 24 or less. And, and for the most part, Gary, that offense seems to have figured things out. They're getting mm-hmm. Mitch outside the pocket to make his plays. They're not making him stand in the pocket and read and decipher all over the field, which he clearly can't do here uh, in year four. So they're letting him make plays with his feet outside the pocket in his arm. And they're, and they're relying on Montgomery and, and, and Gary, I got to tell you, I was wrong on Montgomery. I, uh, the first half of the season, I, I kept saying, I thought he was a, a, a pedestrian running back and, and he's starting to look the last month more and more, I don't want to go as far as saying a franchise guy, but he, he's a guy you can win playoff games with by giving them 22, 24 carries. And uh, Gary, if they sneak in there as the seven, um, I'm not sure that's a team I would want to see right out of the shoot. The NFC is going to be really loaded, Gary. Like we've talked about, it, it's more imperative than ever this year to get that one seed because I'm telling you, two through seven, Gary, it's pretty deep, right? Mm-hmm. With with New Orleans and Seattle and the Rams and, and Tampa and, and the Bears and Arizona. And, and he, whoever comes out of the NFC East, 
we're talking about some really good football teams in, in that mix Gary. I, I think it's deeper and it's more talented uh, than the AFC. I think the AFC has more, more star power, probably up top with the chiefs and, and maybe Buffalo the way they're closing the year. But, but I'm telling you, I, I wouldn't want to see Tampa Gary. I, I'm not sure I'd want to see the bears. I'm, you know, there, there, there's a lot of people that wouldn't want to see the Rams, for example, if they're, if they're the, the runner up in that, in that NFC West and say the five seed or something like that, five, six, seven, Gary, th- those are going to be really good teams in the NFC. I'll tell you what, you, you brought up Tampa Bay. I, I watched part of that game and I'll tell you what, <laughs> if Antonio Brown keeps his head together the rest of the way, the Buccaneers are going to be a tough out. What a great, I, I know he's got a lot of baggage, but this, this is why you roll the dice on certain players. He was a monster yesterday. And I'll tell you what, he, he, you can tell he, he's getting more comfortable in that system. Brady's more comfortable throwing to him. And my goodness, as if they didn't have a good receiving core before then, you know, now adding Brown, they're, they're going to be really dangerous. Well, Ifs and nuts, right? If, if, ifs and yeah. buts, candy and nuts, right, Gary? I mean, if, <laughs> yeah. if, I, if I grow another eight inches and develop an outside shot, maybe I could be an NBA shooting guard. So, too. so you have some doubts about AB, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you, that those are the kind of guys to me that are, are season wreckers at some point in time, right? They can tease you here and there. Um, with a game like yesterday, um, I just – you know, when teams are already really, really solid and loaded, like Tampa Bay was on offense, I don't understand the allure and the appeal of going out and bringing in guys with that level of baggage because at some point in time, right? I mean, don't, doesn't a leopard show his stripes or whatever that, whatever that saying is, right, Gary? Yeah. And, and isn't that Antonio Brown? At some point in time, he's going to wreck a locker room like he did in Pittsburgh, right, where Mike Tomlin is reaming out the team, and he's got out his video, he's got out his phone taking video of it and then posting it on on social networks and things like that, where where, where he's going crazy off the field, getting into all sorts of domestic problems. And, I mean, again, the, the, the guy has been a cancer, phenomenal player the first six, seven years of his career, the last handful of years, Gary, He's been an absolute cancer. You wonder about his, his stability just as a human to function in life. And, um, but, you know, I, I am with you. If somehow he has his head on straight, he, he's part of a three wide receiver set out there, right, with, with, with Godwin Evans and him, and even Scotty Miller's a nice player, mm-hmm. and, and now you got Gronk. I mean, I don't know who you cover. You've got the two running backs as well. I, yeah. Again, it was, it was just a toy. I don't think uh, Bruce Arians and that team needed. I think Tom Brady talked him into it. And, and I still say, Gary, when it's all said and done, they're going to they're gonna absolutely regret bringing that guy to town. Yeah, you, you might be absolutely right. The, the only thing I can think of as far as saying, hey, this is a great move, it, it, Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady is going to keep him in check. Um, at, at least you would hope so. I, I remember when this, this is a basketball uh, story, but when, when the Bulls brought Dennis Rodman to Chicago, I mean, this... Right. Everybody thought that was going to be an absolute disaster, but he knew that he had a stand check because of Jordan. You know, there, there's just some people that have uh, influence over others, strong influence over others, and I think this might be the case. But let, let's face it, he's not going to be here the next two, three years. They want him for this season and this season only. You're exactly right, and um, you know, I again, Gary, I, I just think eventually guys like that implode and. And it's just, it's a dangerous precedent to set too as an organization when you start letting your quarterback make decisions that the front office should make, right? And, Ron, and he said he didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, I'm sure, right, Gary? Nah. <laughs> you believe that, correct? Not, not, not Tampa Bay, not Tampa Brady. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, you know, I, I think Brett Favre was remarkably smart. I think Aaron Rodgers is even smarter, um, you know, but but to the credit of the Packers front office that for all these years, 30 years now we're talking, they've kept them out of personnel decisions. And it, and it, and at times it drove far of nuts when he couldn't get a Randy Moss. And I know at, at times it drove Rogers nuts here when he, when he couldn't get a guy like Marshawn Lynch back in 2010. Um, but the front office is, is, is in those, you know, in those jobs for a reason. And when you, when you start succumbing to the employee and you, you, your whole organizational chain, I think um, you know, that the, there's a level of dysfunction there then all of a sudden and 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 the hierarchy 
is, is thrown out of whack. And again, we'll see, maybe it pays off in spades for Arians and Brady and, and Antonio Brown, but, but Gary, I'm betting against it. Okay. How, how do you real, really feel about it? Call, call me a cynic, hey, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the uh, listener's question of the week. And uh, we got a few, but I, I took this one because he claims he's a lifelong Packer fan and he lives in Minnesota. So he gets the nod here to put up with all the flack that he's taking over there. But that might be him calling in right now. <laughs> uh, the the three-pronged question uh, from William Ludwig of Minneapolis is this. Tell me your top three players who have exceeded expectations. Tell me your three players who have been the biggest disappointments. And then lastly, would the Packers' record be different had they drafted a wide receiver in the first round instead of Jordan Love? Yeah, you don't have to spend a lot of time, but who would be your top three that uh, – exceeded the expectations. Okay. So clearly I, I hit on Bobby Tunyon earlier in the, in the podcast, Gary, I think he's number one. Let's keep going back to Chris Barnes, who we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, he's, he's become, he's become the, the number one inside linebacker, Gary, when, you know, when they go dime, he, he's a guy who's on the field now all the time, made the play of the year, probably from a defensive perspective Saturday night when he kept Bridgewater out of the end zone, undrafted free agent, Gary, um, so let's go Chris Barnes and you know what, Gary, in terms of exceeding expectations, I'm going to say the quarterback, um, it, who I, who I know has been an MVP twice in his career, but I thought his MVP years were done, Gary. I really did. And, um, he's probably going to be second this season when it's all said and done, but I, you know, I didn't think he was going to have his name back in the conversation at any point in time. So let's, let's go with Aaron Rodgers as the third guy, Gary. Yeah, good choice. I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I had Tanya and Barnes in my top three. Interesting, neither one got drafted, right? Tells you how far they've come. And then my third one was, uh, I, I kind of threw it out there, is Savage, because I thought this could kind of be not saying a make or break year for him, but my expectations weren't really high. I, I thought, like, he's going to be a non-factor. He's a second-year guy. That's a tough position to play. But uh, – to me, he's really a player that's coming on. Uh, he, he hasn't been consistent, but you expect that from a second-year player. But he's had some nice games, and uh, I think he's uh, definitely trending upward. Good pick, Gary. I like it. Okay, and now we move on to the three biggest disappointments, and uh, two of them right off the bat. I, I didn't have any problems with this one. One was Preston Smith, who we talked you know, quite a bit about on our podcast, and, and then J.K. Scott who has been a major disappointment from the punting standpoint. And my third one, Rob, and again, 99% of our listeners will probably disagree, but I'm going to say Rashawn Gary. And, and I have really high expectations for Rashawn Gary. And he, he's had his moments this year where he's played really well. And you, you see his development that he's a coming player. But, man, when you're the 12th pick in the draft, you expect more. And uh, I, I just haven't seen it. Your three. So our first two are identical, Gary. I mean, Preston Smith's playing his final month as a Packer. I expect him to be released this off season mm -hmm. and playing somewhere else next year. JK Scott, I wouldn't even have on the roster right now. I've, I've said that before on this show, um, you know, with, with, with those feeble tackle attempts on, on the, on the two uh, punt returns for touchdowns against Jacksonville and Philadelphia. To I'm going to start that, calling you L Davis. You know, yeah, that? <laughs> that was up there in the pink slip, Gary. I, I'd rather see you back there trying to make a tackle now than J.K. Scott. Any, oh, any, day, any day of the week. <laughs> uh, on, on top of it, he's a pretty lousy punter. So he, so he's a he's a ridiculously bad punter, and he, you know, has, has no business, uh, you know, being in the NFL with those tackle attempts. My third one, Gary, is going to be cornerback uh, Josh Jackson. Who, uh, who was yep. who was a healthy scratch, Gary, on Saturday night. We're, we're talking about a second-round draft pick here in, in his third season. The Packers expected their cornerback duo, I think, to be at least, at least Jackson to be in their nickel with Alexander and King, and maybe Jackson to be good enough to win a job from Kevin King um, and certainly take over for Kevin King next year when Kevin King is gone. Jackson hasn't shown any of that, Gary, uh, he, he was replaced on the roster the other night by, by Kadar Holman, 
Um, he's deep down the depth charts here in, in year three, the light just hasn't gone on. Um, to me, this was his make or break. Um, it, it, it's a break and he'll probably be playing somewhere else next year. Racine Raiders. (laughs) Very, 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 very possible. Wow. (laughs) Absolutely. Gary, that's a good call. Okay. The, uh, (laughs) and the uh, third question, uh, would the Packers record be any different if they had drafted a, uh, blue chip wide receiver you know it's hard to pick fault when you're 11 and 3 right um they'd probably be a game better. i mean they'd be a game better somewhere gary if you know if they had justin jefferson for example on this roster instead of jordan love um so so yes if if, if it's a guy like jefferson but with jefferson gary we're we're talking about a player that He's going to go to the Pro Bowl, right? He, mm-hmm. He's going to break most of, if he hasn't already, most of Randy Moss's uh, Minnesota rookie records. We're, we're talking about one of the five, maybe the three greatest seasons ever put together by a rookie receiver. So, you know, to say he would be on this roster, a guy like him, uh, it, it is a stretch. You're, you're probably more like a guy like, you know, Higgins in Cincinnati or Pittman in Indianapolis is the guy you would have put on on your football team if you're the Packers. Does that get you over the hump in that loss to the Colts? Does that get you over the hump in that loss to the Vikings? Maybe it does. What I will say this, Gary, is, you know, by now here as we hit week 16 and we look ahead to the playoffs, I and, and, and you're going to have field goal games now, right? It's going to be a field goal game against the Saints, against Tampa Bay, against, against Russell and the Seahawks, right? A, a, against Jared Goff and the Rams, whoever it is you're playing, that's going to be a one-score game. I would rather go into the postseason with with Michael Pittman, for example, of, of the Colts yes. or, or Higgins of, of of the Bengals any day of the week as my third wide receiver uh, over MVS. So um, maybe Gary, you'd still be eleven and three with one of those rookie receivers right now. But I think where it would really benefit you here is in the next four to six weeks as you try to make a Super Bowl run to have a gifted, young, talented guy like that who's probably getting his chemistry and rhythm right now with Aaron Rodgers versus a guy like Valdez Scantling, who is in year three, and you still have no idea what you're getting every single Sunday. There you go. Well, we're heading to the finish line. And and when we head to the finish line, we always have our parting shot. And uh, I will give you mine, Rob. Um, Packer Nation is well aware of Robert Tanyan's reg to Rich's story. Uh, Tanyan, who attended Indiana State, remember Larry Bird? <laughs> Hardly a football factor, was bypassed in the 2017 draft and now has emerged as one of the top tight ends in the league. Well, there's another sort of rags to riches story this season about another tight end who beat seemingly insurmountable odds. His name is Dan Arnold, and uh, he's not exactly a household name, but he's a tight end for the Arizona Cardinals. Now, here's, here's the kicker, Rob. Arnold was born in Milwaukee, lived and grew up in Janesville, and it attended that uh, blue blood football factory called UW Platteville. <laughs> nice. Well, he, he wanted to play football in college, right? But he went to Platteville to become an engineer, okay? <laughs> so he goes... He goes out for a football platfield, barely plays his freshman and sophomore years. And uh, he conceded that from a mental standpoint, it was really, really tough on him that his football dreams, you know, seemed to be fading away already by his sophomore year at Platteville. And, uh, but he persevered. And uh, by the time he was a senior, he was, get this, the Wisconsin Intercollegiate Athletic Conference Offensive Player of the Year. He caught 65 passes for 1,176 yards and six touchdowns, which was a Platteville school record. But uh, even despite doing that, uh, he didn't impress the NFL scouts. He, like Tanyan, didn't get get drafted in the 2017 draft, okay? So he goes on to sign a contract with New Orleans, spends two, two seasons with the Saints, you know, does nothing. They released him about a year ago. He signs with the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, starting out the season, he, he made the roster, was a backup. Uh, he had a couple of four-catch games. But in the last four or five weeks, Rob, 
he has really, really emerged. And uh, he, he caught a pair of touchdowns against the Rams a couple of weeks ago. And he now has three touchdowns in the last three games for the Cardinals who are trying to get into the playoffs. So can you imagine that? The, the road that this kid traveled and uh, he persevered just like Tanyan did. And uh, it's paid off in a big way for him. I just love stories like that, Gary. That's an awesome one. Was he was he Craig or Parker at Janesville? You know what? <laughs> another another interesting uh, twist to the story. He ended up going to Rockford Boylan. Oh, he did. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure. I think there was a connection there. His mother may have been a teacher there or something, but uh, he commuted from Janesville to Rockford. So wow, that's but, that's uh, about an hour drive. Good. I mean, you want to talk perseverance? What a what a wonderful story. Great story, Gary. Oh, thanks. All right. Here's mine, Gary. Parting shot. Green Bay and Matt LaFleur are about to see Tennessee on Sunday night. Yeah. Two years ago at this exact time, Matt LaFleur was a little known offensive coordinator in Tennessee. Sources told me, Gary, that it was 50 50. He was going to be brought back. The, the, the Tennessee offense was struggling. Um, it's actually been better since Matt LaFleur has been gone. Now, clearly they have a better quarterback in place with Tannehill, but they were having a rough year in 2018. And there was, there were, there was no lock that Matt LaFleur was going to come back as the OC in 19 Gary about a month later in January of 19 green Bay hires Matt LaFleur Gary. There were eight openings at the time. Cliff Kingsbury went to Arizona. Bruce Arians went to Tampa Bay, Vic Fangio, left the bears as the defensive coordinator and went to Denver. Mm -hmm. Adam Gase went to the jets. Brian Flores went to Miami. Zach Taylor, who was all he was at the time, Gary was the wide receiver coach with, with the LA Rams, but everyone fell in love with McVay and the Rams. Zach Taylor was hired by Cincinnati and Freddie kitchens was promoted to be the head coach in Cleveland. My point with all that Gary is there were eight openings at the time. And I think I talked to a number of scouts and people at the time who thought, number one, they questioned the Matt LaFleur hire. Number two, they didn't think out of the openings at the time, Green Bay ranked any higher than fourth, maybe fifth among those. A lot of people liked the Cleveland job better. Mayfield was coming off a really good rookie year. The Jets seemed to have the quarterback in place, right, with Sam Darnold. Even Miami had loaded up Gary on a ton of draft picks. Denver's defense looked outstanding. Uh, in terms of what was coming back for Fangio, there were jobs across, out of those eight that seemed far more appealing at the time than Green Bay because most mm -hmm. people had their doubts if anybody could work with Aaron Rodgers at, the, at that advanced stage of his career. Now we sit here, Gary, two years later. Matt LaFleur is 24-6. and six. He's already been in an NFC Championship game. He has the Packers in line for the number one seed, and that would mean, obviously, nothing but home games to try to reach Super Bowl uh, 55. You look at these other openings, Gary, from around the uh, across the league as well, right? Freddie Kitchens lasted one year in Cleveland and was fired and replaced this year by Kevin Stefanski, who does seem to have things turned around right, right there. Uh, Cincinnati had the worst record in football last year and doesn't seem to be going anywhere fast with Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor's probably going to be gone from the Bengals when this season ends. Adam Gase will definitely be gone from the Jets when this year is over. They're one and thirteen made the mistake of winning on, on Sunday and, and blowing the chance uh, to go ahead and get Trevor Lawrence. Denver might be two years and done for Vic Fangio as they sit near the bottom of, uh, of, of the AFC West. The only jobs I think Gary uh, where guys have really got things on the right path moving forward is Flores in Miami mm -hmm. where the, where the Dolphins seem in position to make the playoffs Arians in Tampa Bay where uh, the Buccaneers were a three and 13 team um, back in 2018. And, and he's got them on the brink of the playoffs. My point with all this Gary is nobody knew who Matt LaFleur was two years ago. He took a job that not everybody in the league thought was going to be very good. He sees his old team again, come Sunday night and he's living the high life right now, playing eight, winning 80% of his football games since he got to green Bay and has this organization, um, you know, just a couple of wins potentially from, from another Super Bowl. Who would have thought about it, Gary? Who would have thought Lafleur would be that guy? Um, I certainly didn't. And uh, he gets a little bit of redemption when he looks across the sideline on, I think, on, on Sunday night and looks over at an organization, Gary, that I'm not sure was going to keep him.
Very, very nice, Rob. Yeah. So, so you really thought, or at least your sources indicated that uh, Lafleur might have been in trouble in Tennessee. So, I, I would imagine this me this game coming up against Titans, you know, means the world to him. But uh, very, very good parting shot. Really liked it, Rob. I hate to say this, but it's time to call it a wrap. <laughs> we, we've probably overstayed our welcome again, right, Gary? It's it's like that uncle on Christmas or Thanksgiving that won't get out of your house. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that, that's not the case with you. I, I could talk Packer football or football in general with you all day long. And uh, again, today it was an absolute blast. And I want to extend you a Merry Christmas as well as our listeners. And uh, take care. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWoofle and Woofle'sPressBox.com.